Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in the name of Jesus. I appreciate the willingness for any of you that did new things this morning again, and this is something new for me. I have preached before, but not here, and not certainly with a new group. And that's what I was trying to decide what I should share. What would the Lord want us to learn? And I thought about that there's a fair amount of people that hear, and it, it sounds kind of odd, but we need to learn things, myself included. Not that we're doing things wrong, but that we could continue on. Do we go here or here in your personal life with the Lord? How, how are you going to be directed as you continue growing with the Lord? And the subject that I have this morning is, uh, I'll just give you the title. It's, it's always hard to know what to title a sermon. But when you get, somebody said when you get all done with your notes, then you give it a title. So I sort of back and forth, but that um, will introduce you to the subject. The title of the message is Understanding Pride. And not so much understanding as all the little details of, of, of knowing it. It's, it's to, to be aware of pride that can come into our life. And I want to read you my statement here so you understand where I'm coming from. Well, let me say this. I have three questions, and there was somebody at Millmont that always gave bizarre things. And I thought, well, maybe today I'll do a bizarre thing. I have three and a half questions for you. You'll understand the half part later. I have three and a half questions I want to ask you, not as a means of thinking you have this problem, but as an encouragement to watch out, to be on guard, to not let pride have any ways into our life so that we can live a life free from pride and a life that is pleasing to God. As I looked at the definition of pride, that's my first question. What is pride? Well, I think we need to zero in a little bit to get a grip of what pride is. Steve did a good job of looking in the dictionary, and I, I always do that when you run into words, and it's surprising what the dictionary says. And in this case, they didn't help me out a whole lot on what pride is. It gave a bunch of sort of ramblings, but it got down to one that I think was good. It said, excessive appreciation of one's own worth or virtue. And I don't have to tell you what pride is. You know what it is. But we want to look at Scripture and what God looks at it because our view of pride can be from a human side and we might say, well, that's not pride, but Scripture might say it is. And so we're going to look at a number of references here. I tend to do that. I'm not sure if that's good to, to use my Bible for my, my dictionary. Uh, I get stuck with this reference and this reference and this reference, how many of them, and I never get to a good part of the sermon if I'm just looking at verses the whole time, but it's just the way it is. It's scripture, and it gives life to us. So turn to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, and the Bible uses a number of words uh, to, to try to put this together, what... what uh, this, this means when you talk about being pride, proud or, or what pride is. And Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth 
do I hate? Now, when I search for pride, there's a lot of verses, so I'm just picking out a few just to give us the idea of, of what God says when he's saying proud or being pride or the other way around. But here it specifically says, that's something I do not like. And in fact, it says, do I hate? And so one thing that I caught on was a little bit of pride in your life is not okay. It's something that God hates. Fairly straightforward. Turn to Psalm 10 and verse 4. have these picked out very fast so psalm 10 and verse 4 reads the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after god god is not in all his thoughts and here again it's pretty basic but pride is what's going to crowd god out of your life and it says here that god is not in all his thoughts the, the, and it says the wicked, but it's through the pride of his countenance and what he looks like. He's not going to seek after God, and God is not going to be in his thoughts and his mind. So what, what pride, and what I just wrote down here, pride keeps us at a distance from God. It, it's, it's a, a direct uh, opposition and counteract us from God. Now let's go to Jeremiah 13, verse 15. I'm just going to read this quick. I happen to find it pretty quick. Jeremiah 13:15. Hear ye and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. Not much to explain on that. But I was just pulling a few verses out to have, have the word uh, proud or pride in them. Hear ye and give ear. <laughs> if you remember last Sunday about when... My boys can't hear, I underline things, and there's two of them. Hear ye, and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. That's all I have on the word proud, but there's other words, and so I have just a couple more. I guess it might be maybe more than I realize. I'll just try to go down through them. The next word is haughty. And it's used in the Old Testament. We didn't find it in the New Testament. But it's blatantly and dis, disdainfully proud. Almost a more uh, not hidden anymore in yourself. It, it, it's starting to come out and people might know it. And Proverbs 18 verse 12a says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And the first verse I thought of was, uh, uh, Pride goeth before destruction and a, um, the one about where you... If you're proud, then you fall. And this is sort of saying the same thing. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Next word I have is conceit. And conceit is being wise with yourself. As I looked at that one, I learned something in the New Testament. When that one is used... You can, instead of putting the word conceit in there, you actually just put yourself, the actual word yourself. And it, and it fits, fits the, uh, 
it fits the word because it's all related to yourself. But Proverbs 26, 12 says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. If you put the word self in there, seest thou a man wise in his own self, there is more hope of a fool than of him. And sort of fit. That, that word conceit tends to deal specifically for the, the self in a person. In another uh, translation, NIV or NASB, it says, could also be being wise in your own opinions or estimations. And when I read that, I thought, wow, that's going to be a hard one because as we work together as a group, everybody has opinions and everybody is going to, estimations could be um, sort of getting into how you judge somebody. You're going you're gonna to guess on that or you estimate that this or this might happen. Seest thou a man wise in his own opinions and his estimations? There's more hope of a fool than of him. I'm not sure if that quite works, but that's the idea it's headed. You need to, be, uh, to understand the word conceit there. Another word coming through is high-minded. Now this is a compound word. High means elevated. In a physical sense, the same way we talk about a high mountain. I can't quite see one, but I think across the river it goes up. Or at least further down it does. There's mountains around us. And as you think of high, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about high, physically in height. Now, the underlying thing that comes through with this is that if you're proud, you're always up here. And if you're humble, you're always down here. And just, it's just the way it holds out. If you're proud, you talk about being lifted up or high-minded, it's just you go that way. If you're humble, you go the other way. So when this, is, this word is used, high-minded, it's talking about high, maybe not necessarily a physical sense, but the word minded is part of the mind that perceives or judges, very similar to that, the opinions or the estimations. So if somebody is high-minded, in their mind, they are... Uh, up in their mind in this part about perceiving and judging other people. And the verse in the New Testament is 1 Timothy 6.17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I thought that verse fit well with the definition of being high-minded. If you think you have a lot of money, you tend to think what you can do with that money. If you think you have more money than somebody else, you tend to get opinions and estimations and judgments that tend to be elevated over the other person. And you can tend to get to be high-minded, as this verse would say, in the sense of wealth. High-minded is used, I'm not sure how many times, but it does trickle through in scripture different places but I wanted to if you in your daily reading as you read scripture if you see high-minded that's what it's referring to now as we look at a few more this is all similar words relating to pride or being proud 
we have the word boast that comes along. And boast is a basic one. We know what that is. It's speaking and talking. Actually, it gets past just the thought and the, the what's inside you. This is where you start talking and it comes out. You boast. You speak with excessive pride. The term the children use is you brag about something. We've all been around that. We know what that means. But boast has a definition for us that is the kind of speech which stirs up strife or provokes others. Because I'm not sure how you can boast about something without hinting to the other person, you can't do this good, or you, you, you're going to mess up there, or you're provoking somebody else, or you're stirring up strife. It's not going to be a good, loving relationship when you start boasting about something with another person. The next one I have is puff up, and this is in the New Testament. And that is simply, uh, I didn't quite find the, a good, in, the, in, the, in studying in the resources, of uh, blowing a balloon up, but that's basically what it means. It means to inflate, uh, to swell is another one. And that's pretty basic. We do always put pride with swelling. As somebody says their head swelled, we, we sort of know what that means. They, um, they may have taken a comment or something in the right manner, but when, when somebody compliments you for something that you did a good job of, it's easy to let your head swell. You go, hey, I did, I did something good, and you, you might be proud of it. But that's what the word puff up would mean. It's used a lot in 1 Corinthians. And I'm not sure about different places other than that. But 1 Corinthians 4, 6b says that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. That just fits very well with the whole idea of pride. That you don't be puffed up one against another. And I thought I was about done, then I found one more, and that is the word vainglory. And this one I, I sort of got stuck on. I'm watching the clock here, how fast it goes when I'm up here. And I told my wife, I said, I only have two pages of notes. I usually have three. I said, we should be good. But vainglory is used two times in the New Testament. And when it's only used two times, you can really narrow down into what does vainglory mean. And vainglory isn't necessarily one you think about in pride, but as I uh, encountered it through just you reading one and the definitions, I'll give you more words and you start just gathering information. Vainglory came along. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And the other one is Galatians 5.26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And I realize later now that the provoking one another and envying one another is an add-on. Um, I should just stop with let us not be desirous of vainglory. I mean, it could lead into that, but that, that's basically to... Uh, to not be desirous of vain glory. The, there's two words here. You have vain and you have glory. So vain 
pretty well means what we know of as vain. It's worthless. It's empty. And as you think of the spiritual side, it's fruitless. There's, there's no benefit for it. Or it's devoid of truth. Now, glory, I was pretty sure I had uh, glory somewhat figured out. Not necessarily of, of no understanding the word, but, you know, as you study the original language of, of glory in the Old Testament, it had all the, you know, the glory of the Lord, and in the New Testament, you have the glory of the hair, and, and uh, just kind of, uh, it's a, a big word, and so I looked in my, the one uh, dictionary I had, and it had one word, it was actually a Greek one, but it had one Greek word, and it had about three pages of definitions, and that caught me off guard, because Greek is usually the other way. It, it's more, more words to give specific. And so it left me hanging a little bit. Glory is, is pretty general. But glory, as I looked through it and tried to pick out, glory is praise or honor coming to someone. And we don't necessarily use it, I don't think, in our conversation today, but Glory to God would be praise or honor going to Him. As we look at it here on earth as us, vain glory, they had to use that word to go praise or honor coming to someone. So glory is pretty well what we know, but you put vain in front of it, and now you got empty, fruitless, devoid of truth glory. And it doesn't go very far. It pretty well stops. It's just, it, it can't go anywhere. So these are words to describe pride as used in the Bible. And when I got to vainglory, I, I was trying to come up with a, a well-rounded definition of, you know, how's, what does pride mean in the Bible? And, and you know, to, to just get a... a a simple, easy way to say, here's what pride is. And I could not come up with anything. I kept going round and round until I got to vainglory. And then it kind of helped me. This is my own uh, coming up with or uh, putting together. But you can take it for what it's worth. But pride is glory going to the wrong place. I don't know if I say that's 100% true, but as I studied this, you take pride and how it's used in any situation and you find a glory that is there. It's correct and it's accurate, but it goes to the wrong place. It was supposed to go over here and it went over here. And the reason I uh, come up with that is because I had studied the next part of my notes and you don't have that, but that's where we lead into the next question and, and that's how I... I sort of went down through and I come back to it and I was able to put that in there that pride is glory going to the wrong place. Along with that, I found an English proverb that also is really pretty much stuck me in the heart, not quite, but really it's pretty ouchy to know what where you're at with pride because you're immediately you're like, uh-oh, you know, do I have pride in my life? Am I clear? Am I good? 
Well, it's pretty easy for me to tell you all, and you know that. I, in the past and still do, struggle with pride. It's not so much anymore as you understand things and grow older, but it's going to be a constant struggle for all of us what you're going to do with pride. But the English proverb says, when a proud man hears another person praised, he himself feels injured. And you think that through. When a proud man hears another praised, or another person praised, he himself feels injured. And I guess, aside from Scripture, if, if you can understand that and, and get a hold of that, you're going to have an understanding of what pride is. Now, second question, number, question number two. Where does pride come from? Since you're trying to understand it, where does pride come from? Well, sure, it just comes from uh, Satan. Yep, that's where it comes from. Uh, I think so. Uh, turn to Isaiah. I'm going to read this. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. And I hesitate because I always thought this was straightforward scripture until some commentary said, no, this just means Nebuchadnezzar's fall from uh, when God uh, lowered him, took him out and made him like one of the animals. Um, Isaiah 14, 12 to 14 reads like this. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. There's quite a few eyes in there. I will this, I will that. A, a selfish look. I, I don't know what to say about this being Nebuchadnezzar thinking this and Isaiah writing about it. I think the general term is, is that this is some of the original cause of Satan being thrown out of heaven. And I... It, I'm open to what all there is, but to try to get where it came from, Satan, somewhere along the line, did something wrong, and I think this is what he did. He said he wanted to be like God. God said, no, that's not what you were created to be. You're out of here. I will cast you down to the earth, or out of heaven anyway. And so I think that's probably where pride came from, at least a, if you want to go back to that glory thing, where the glory that God was getting, Satan wanted some of that. And he wanted to be equal with God. He did not want to accept his position. And he did not want to give God the honor and the glory. I'm not going to turn to it, but in Genesis 3, where Eve was tempted in the garden, I think Satan followed through with some of that exact same temptations of what 
uh, he, he, the temptations he gave to Eve were the same things that he wanted to try to do in, before he was kicked out of heaven or, or cast out of heaven. It says, eyes will be opened as far as knowledge, but it says, be as gods or possibly even as God himself. And I think he was saying, Eve, you can be like God. You can be the same. I don't have much grounds for that uh, claim, but I think I see that being in there a little bit of, of Satan wanted to tempt Eve to be proud and to not be uh, content with what she had to say that I deserve more glory than what I have now, what God gave me. And Satan in temptation says, you can do that. Why don't you eat the fruit? You'll be like God. You'll be knowing things. So because of the fall of mankind, we all have a sin nature. Basic uh, things there. And in the New Testament, pride is mentioned in Mark 7, 20-23. not going to turn there, but it says, and he said, That which cometh out of man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. I don't think there's much left. But specifically names pride as something that comes out of your heart. And when I talk about a sin nature, we're all born with a heart that is not right towards God. So where does pride come from? Pride grows or comes out of self, the sin nature, the flesh, or the spirit of carnal man. And I wish I could tell you more of where it comes from, but that's about all. It zeroes down into, it's the enemy. Question number three. This is where it gets hard. How can we tell if we have, if we have pride in our life? Now I back up to this first thing. What I said. Not as a means of thinking you all are just proud people here in this church. That is not what I'm getting at. But you need some kind of indicator to, where am I at with pride? If God hates it, he doesn't want it, uh, where am I at with this? And so I have a couple things here that I gleaned or through studying. It says, a question again, how can we tell if we have pride in our life? And it'd be fun just to go through these real quick and not think about them. But they're very relevant to today. They're more on the practical side. And it's things that I, myself, struggle with. So here's one. One, two, three, four, five. I guess I have six of them. First one. Very basic. We talked about glory. We do not give glory to God that deserves it. And I think of this when I say a prayer and God answered it. And I got what I wanted, and I move on. What happened? 
I did not give glory to God. You ask for something, you needed help. If you pray to God, which we all do, are you going to give glory to God that He deserves for it? And you can, that gets trickled down into a lot of small things. But the, 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 the concept of that is, is that I at times don't give the glory to God. And that kind of comes from that word vainglory and the glory that Satan wanted to keep that at the right place. So I have down answered prayer. When God answers prayer, do you give the glory to Him? Or in your accomplishments. There's thing that, things that God gives us and we're able to do. We might not even ask for them. But are we quick to recognize where that came from? And that's could be put in our accomplishments. That's the first one. The second one is sort of along the same line, but yet it's different. I wrote down, at times we feel it hard to lift our eyes to God. And you have to understand me, because as all of you as Christian people, you are, you're going to lift your eyes to God. You're going to look to God. And I have the reference down here in Daniel 4, which is actually when Nebuchadnezzar was... Uh, he said, I have everything, I'm like, uh, he, I didn't read it, but, uh, and God said, voice came from his head and said, no, the person, I'm able to dethrone you and to lower you, you're going to go out with the animals. And when he was out with the beasts of the field, the phrase is given that he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he admitted that God is God. And through our hard times, the big ones, it's no problem. Ask God for help. Sure, we can lift up our eyes. I don't have any examples down, but there's some times when you don't want to because I think for myself, I kind of can handle this. It's not quite as bad that I have to go ask God for help. But remember, if you ever find it hard to lift your eyes up to God for whatever you might need, that could be an indicator of pride because of what we've seen in the definitions of pride. Number three, under the third question, how can we tell? We have a hard time accepting any rightful authority over us. And these are practical things. As you came in today and you met an usher and he said, sit over here, what are you going to do? Thank you. I'll take that. I don't want to sit there. That's a dumb place. What's going through your mind? He was given the authority to seat you. How are you going to respond to that? You go to a viewing, and the parking lot is packed full, and the car parker says, park down over that bank. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, why not? He told you to park down over there, wherever he tells you. It might be an odd place or a dumb place. He was given the authority to tell you to do that. If you find yourself having a hard time accepting any rightful, and I use that term rightful because there's little places where you go to any uh, formal building of, of today's setting, business, wherever you're at, and somebody is going to be behind the counter or behind the wherever that has a rightful place of authority, and if you have a hard time submitting to them, you better make sure you know why. 
and check. Because that can be a sign of pride that you are able to make better judgments and decide things better than what that person can. Just as a general, you fit it how it works for you. <clears throat> number three is, uh, or I have it down as E. One, two, three, four. This would be number five. No, back up. Number four. I missed it. Number four, we think we don't make any mistakes. And that's pretty basic. All of us know we make mistakes, but all of us inside think we're doing the right thing, too. There's a, there's a conflict there. And I'm dumb enough to... Uh, do some things. Just this week I had something happen to me. I thought, I don't do dumb things like that. That's just not me. So I was working at the shop and the customer brought in a, a hitch on the, on the Ventrac, the attachments, and they have a, a pin that sticks out where, it, where uh, the attachment hooks on and the pin had broken. He said, weld a new pin in there. So I put a pin in there and on the other side, you weld it fast, get her good and hot, burn it in there. I don't know, five, eight seconds later, I put my welder down. I wanted to make sure there the right amount of twist in the hitch was right. I grabbed that pin just right where it was, and it just burnt my hand. I mean, I grabbed it and I left go, but I, I would tell people I am not that dumb to pick up something hot that I welded. If you find yourself thinking that you don't make any mistakes, I'm willing to admit it. You better be careful. We all make mistakes. That might be an easy one. Here's the hard one. This gets a little more interpersonal and working through relationship difficulties, I think. One, two, three, four, five. Number five. When working through problems, we don't think about it that we may be the problem. That never crossed your mind when you're dealing with somebody and they are just, they're wrong. They just blew it. They, they goofed. And they don't, think they really did maybe it was a fault maybe fit the situation however but you fail to realize even that there's a possibility that you yourself could be the problem it's like it doesn't even zoom it goes right over top you must be open to that pride blinds our eyes and maybe ears to the truth of the matter to what's going on and I say that in ways of people working together when there's a problem, even if you want to say a, a person problem, people problem, you can't get along. There's usually some truth that pride is involved in that. And the last one here, we find it hard to give in to the abilities or the money or the success of other people we love. And this one kind of is maybe a repeat, but... When I thought about it myself, that's one thing that's hard for me to do. When I see somebody else get a pay raise or they talk about the, what do I have down here? Abilities. They, they can do more or they, they, they're, they're spending money and, and doing more or they're successful. Or I could throw in their uh, spiritual things. It's just whatever they have that you might want, it's hard to give into it or to even be appreciative that that other person can have that. Yes, so-and-so over here, he can just make three times more money than I do. That is no problem. I just, is that easy to do? Sometimes it isn't. You just can't give in to that. Like, why can't you be okay with all the blessings that somebody else gets? 
Well, it's because you're looking at yourself and you, you sort of get some pride in it. It's probably the same thing back to what the English proverb is. When a proud man hears another praised, he feels himself injured. I got to the end of my notes. The conclusion. Let us be diligent and on guard of the constant pressure of pride so that we may live lives free from pride as God would want. So here's your half question, if any of you are remembering that. I will ask it now, but I'll try to answer it in the next sermon. How do I keep pride out of my life? So I explained to you, or attempted to, here is what pride is, symptom signs of it. What do we do about it? What's next? I'm, hopefully I won't let you down, I really, I'm not sure how that'll go. It'll be along the lines of humility, some sort or another, but I thought the two go together and with a busy schedule, I thought, well, maybe I can do one that links into another one. So, so that's my question for next time is, uh, how do we keep pride out of our life? I don't know what the title of the message will be, but something along the line of being hum humble, humility. And I don't know how much to overlap, too. Maybe I'll have to keep my, I might have two sets of notes next time. I don't know. So anyway, conclusion, let us be diligent and on guard of the constant pressure of pride so that we can live as God would want. Let's kneel for prayer.